0: For your great singing, you can have a seat, please. Aren't you glad to be here this morning? Yes. It's uh, great to be here and worship the Lord together. If you take your Bibles and turn to uh, 1 Kings chapter nineteen, where we're going to be heading over there. Been enjoying our series, thank you, Ryan. Been enjoying our series on uh, on on. Kings, and uh and been learning some lessons from the various kings this summer and early fall. But uh, as you head over there to First Kings chapter 19, I'd like to ask you to think about this thought this morning, and that is this, have you ever faced times when you're discouraged? Uh, have you ever faced times when you're in despair, even maybe you could use the word depressed? Things, uh, things maybe were going really good at one point. And then all of a sudden it felt like the bottom dropped out. Um, you're, things are moving good, you're on a mountain, and then after the mountain, we always find that there are valleys. As we continue to talk this morning about the prophet Elijah, uh, we're going to see how that he faced discouragement. And some of the, some of the tougher things. Um, you know, as a kid, you learn about Elijah growing up in the church. And uh, this morning what we're going to look at is the part that probably I missed as a kid. And when you see the other side of uh, that that he dealt with some discouragement, he dealt with some depression things. Um, let me give you a little bit of background. If you were to look in 1 Kings chapter 16, 17, and 18, you'd see a little bit more background here. But the context here is that Israel didn't have a godly king at this point. It was King Ahab, and uh, he was among the worst kings at that point. Ahab was the most wicked king Israel had up until then. It was 70 years after, after uh, Solomon, and the kingdom had been divided, and now we see that King Ahab is, is attempting to rule. Uh, he marries Jezebel, and Jezebel, this was a foreign woman, she was a Baal worshiper. She brought in the worship of Baal to, uh, to the kingdom, and, uh, and they now basically have Baal worship as a national religion, making the followers of God a minority. And uh, 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 30 says that he, Ahab, did more to provoke the Lord than all the kings before him. So we see that the time is set up that Ahab is the bad king. He's not following God, and so God has to put his hand on a prophet. And God would do that. He would put his hand on a prophet and send a prophet to, to speak to the king, to try and uh, get this thing back on track. And so Elijah uh, is, sent, is sent to warn Ahab. Elijah announces that there will be no rain for several years and then he hides. Um, God sends him to the ravine and uh, at the ravine he's feeding him through the ravens. Uh, When the brook dried up, he sent him to live with a widow in Zarephath. And, uh, and, And then we see all this time that that's going on, Ahab is looking for Elijah and he doesn't even realize it. Three years later, God sends Elijah back to Ahab, and this time he tells him, it's going to rain. So he, first he says, no rain. Now he comes back, three years later, it's time, it's going to rain again. And uh, God sends Elijah, uh, he announces the rain, and at this time Ahab is angry, he's desperate, and uh, and he's he wants he wants Elijah. Elijah challenges the prophets, uh, the prophets of Baal and Asherah, to a duel to prove that the Lord is God. And so these prophets gather around, the, the prophets of Baal to the false gods. They come around and they set up their altar. And as you know, here comes, uh, here comes Elijah. He sets up his altar. And of course, the, uh, the false gods, they, they couldn't draw any power because their god had no power. But Elijah put his faith on the line at that moment. And he, he, not only does he call down fire from heaven, he pours the altar with water. He just covers it with water. And he's you know, and then he calls down fire from God, and 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 that day was a great and exciting day because he saw this miracle happen, and God God poured fire down on the wet altar, and consumed it. And there is uh, and there now is the the prophets the prophets of Baal the false God they are in hot water now. And at this point, everybody says the Lord He is God. The Lord He is God. And so as Baal the prophets of Baal were there. Uh, if you were to read over in Chapter eighteen, you would see that at the sword of Elijah they were ta- their lives were taken, and so hundreds of these prophets their, their lives were wiped out they 're taken and so God vindicates and He shows his power in a great and mighty way. Um, God had uh, had taken Elijah, and Elijah saw great and mighty things at the hand of God, he had seen so many wonderful things. But all of a sudden, the story takes a a twist here, all right? The story takes a different turn here in 1 Kings chapter 19. And Ahab told Jezebel, verse 1. Ahab told Jezebel, so the king told his wife Jezebel, all that Elijah had done, also how he had executed all the prophets with a sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also... If I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. Here we see uh, Elijah's life is threatened by Jezebel. And he flees. And he runs over to Beersheba. Now this is a hundred mile journey. This wasn't some little little deal. It's about a two week journey Two weeks on foot, 100 miles, and he runs and he's hiding. So he went from this great mountaintop experience. The mountaintop of God did his work. God wiped out the prophets of Baal. In the meantime, now Jezebel says, I want your life. And I'm going to take your life. She puts out a warrant for his life and says, I'm going to take you down and it's going to happen in 24 hours. And if it doesn't happen, they might as well take mine like the other prophets. So he was saying, hey, listen, I'm coming after you. And so what did he do? He went into fear. He reacted in fear. And and as as you see, he goes and he makes the first leg of the journey, verse 3. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life, went to Beersheba. Makes the 100-mile journey. At Beersheba, he drops off his servant, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. So he leaves his servant there, and he goes on. He goes to the next part by himself, verse 4. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. So he went a hundred miles. Now he's gone another day into the wilderness by himself. And he came and sat down under a broom tree. And he prayed that he might die. And said, it is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat then he looked and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water so he ate and drank and lay down again and the angel of the lord came back the second time and touched him and said arise and eat because the journey is too great for you so he arose and ate and drank, and he went into the and he went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. In his distress, the Lord meets him. God meets him in his distress. Elijah is at the end of the rope, and he comes to the Lord. He's sitting under a tree, and he says, "Enough's enough. I just can't take it. Lord, take my life." You know, when we look at that, we look at these great heroes, and you see, you see that he's he's having a victorious day, and then just a few days later he's having a day of depression. He was down, he was depressed, he was discouraged. And you know what he wanted the Lord to take his life because he didn't want Jezebel to take his life. And as he's thinking about Jezebel taking his life, he didn't he didn't want to be like like they took the prophets, the prophets of Baal and their lives were taken. He didn't want Jezebel to say that she had the upper hand and that that Baal had any power. So he is down, he's discouraged, and he's at the end of his rope and he says, Lord, I can't take this anymore. Just take my life. You know, sometimes when we see a great man like that, a man who's done something great and powerful, and you think that this man suffered with some depression, suffered with discouragement, sometimes it shocks us, doesn't it? But you know what? It actually helps us when we look and we see that here was a normal person. God used normal people to do extraordinary things all the time. And this man here, Elijah, he suffered with some depression at this point. He had come off the mountaintop, and that's quite often whenever we deal with that, is when we're going back into the valley. And so we're he- he's heading down into the valley, and we see that he's dealing with this depression. Many great men have dealt with depression. Winston Churchill... He said this, depression followed me around like a black dog all of my life. All of his life he dealt with depression. Uh, A young lawyer in the 1800s, his friends were always watching him and keeping an eye out for him because he suffered from depression. He said this, I am now the most miserable man living. Whether I shall be better, I cannot tell. I awfully forebode I shall not. That lawyer later became the 16th president of the United States. That was Abraham Lincoln. He faced depression. Did great things, but faced depression. Charles Spurgeon. When you think of Charles Spurgeon, and we love to quote Charles Spurgeon, we look, he's given us so many great writings. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, suffered from from depression. History tells us that, that there were times when Spurgeon would be so depressed that he would refuse to leave his home or to go on to church. Uh, on one occasion, on more than one occasion, his deacons had to come and carry him to the church. He suffered from depression. Um, we don't often think of that when you think of the great and mighty things that some of these guys do. But sometimes we get down. And sometimes depression comes and it, it, and it hurts. And it's a common experience. Uh, many people will face depression in their life. and. Sometimes I've had people tell me, wow, you know, I feel so bad that I was depressed. And, and you know what? It's okay, because at one point, many of us will face depression. Um, if you go through a time of depression, you're not alone. As a matter of fact, depression affects, uh, from what I understand, all classes, all races, age, groups, genders, and people. So depression can come and affect anybody. 17.6 million Americans will deal with, the form, with some form of depression this year. One out of every five Americans can expect to deal with depression in their lifetime. And so this depression, as we think of the depression, sometimes our body is just telling us, hey, it's a symptom. It's telling us, hey, there's an overload here. We have got to stop. And it's like it just kind of numbs you down and, and brings you to a screeching halt. And that's where Elijah was. Elijah was at that place where he's now running and he's in hiding. He had the great victory and he's now run and he's underneath the underneath tree and God comes to him and he ministers to him. Um, he has to rest. God tells him to rest. Now, I want you to think about this. On the, on, when God created the heavens and earth, he created heaven and the earth Six days was creation. On the seventh day, he rested. Now think about this. Did the God of the universe truly need a break? (laughs) No. He did that for us. So that we would have the model of how we're to work. We're supposed to go and work six hard days and then always make sure we have a Sabbath. He said to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. It was so that he could minister to our soul wasn't so that we could have a rule to follow. It was so that you could have, so that the Lord could minister to your soul. You need rest. Um, even the Lord Jesus took time away from work. Uh, over in Matthew, um, sorry, Mark chapter 6, verse 31, Jesus said, come away by yourselves. He's talking to his disciples. They've been working hard. He says, come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest a while. For there were many people that were coming and going and they did not even have time to eat. And you know, sometimes we just need to rest. Sometimes rest is a big part of our equation. And I was thinking about this, how do we run in our society today in our society today? You know, I have my smartphone, or I could say it's my not so smartphone. Uh, because i 'm not so smart because I play with it all the time, do you ever notice you find yourself doing that? you know it's like yeah, yeah, yeah. honestly, I have the Bible in here, right you know? And it 's like we're fling we 're moving through this and we 're looking through we've got text going to the internet. I can have my emails come to me. you can get to me at any hour of the day because my email will it 'll beep, and I can just pull that up at ten o 'clock at night and, and, and see what needs to be done and, and my brain begun begins to get consumed with other things when I need to be resting on my schedule my neighbor said to me boy you are never home and I realized that I said you're right this is a problem I need to be home a little bit more often he said not just you your whole family nobody is ever over there and uh, what happens is you know our, we have kids in sports we have church we have this and we have this thing we're doing here we're going there and we've got this je- this schedule that's juggling so full and then all of a sudden, you find that you're lacking rest. Rest is an important part of our life. And I want you to notice here that, that how did God help him? He came to him, and he didn't give him a speech. Isn't that interesting? You know, if my, if my kid came to me and, and was in a situation, what do we typically do first as parents? We say, now you know you should have. You should have done this, and you didn't do this, and we give him this big, long lecture. But... God here, saw that Elijah was suffering a time of depression and how did he come and minister to him? No speech. He ministered to his body. He ministered to him right where he was at and he allowed him to rest. He made him sleep. And then he provides nourishment for him. And if you, you go back and you read there, he says the angel he wakes him up. The angel wakes him up and there's cake. I like that angel. Cake. The angel puts cake and water there for him. And he allows him and he ministers to his body and gives him nourishment. Lets him go back to sleep. Wakes him back up, gives him more food. And now he's able to go the next forty days' journey. And he can he can go out forty days' journey because, because of the nourishment. So God gives him and ministers to his body, gives him nourishment, gives him the strength that is needed. God speaks to him. Verse 9. Now he's gone. Remember, he, he made the first leg of the journey. was 100 miles. Then he goes into the desert by himself, a day's journey. And then he, after he gets nourishment, he goes another 40 days south. He's now at the Mount Horeb. It's also known as the Mountain of God. This is where, this is where Moses received the Ten Commandments. And, so, and there he went into a, into a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold... The word of the Lord came to him and he said to him, "What are you doing here, Elijah?" So he said, "I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars and killed your prophet with a sword. I am I am left. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life." So we see here Elijah had a problem And as we think about Elijah's problem, Elijah had a very real problem. He's running from Jezebel. And as as we see him, that he's running from Jezebel, first of all, God comes to him and says, what are you doing here? Why are you hiding? He asks him, what are you doing here as opposed to somewhere else? And he he begins to, to communicate with him after he's already ministered to him, ministered to his body. He's had the rest. Now... He's able to move along and and help them. First of all, a part of Elijah's problem was that he was alone. He was running from Jezebel, and now he's alone. And I want to encourage you that that this church, we were never meant to be at this alone. Being a Christian was never meant for you to be, okay, you're saved, now go out there and be alone. If you look at the New Testament, the New Testament is all about the group, the gathering of the church and how that they encouraged one another. As a matter of fact, Hebrews 10, 25 says, Let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. We are to encourage one another. See, that's a little bit more than just coming in and saying, Oh, I got something out of church today. I now am to be encouraged by you. You are to be encouraged by me, and vice versa. We just have this big encouragement going on. We are to do life together. We're supposed to go out there and do life together. And as we go out there and we we live this life, we're going to make an impact on our community. But we can't do that alone. It is not going to happen by just coming in and and having an hour on Sunday. We need to encourage one another throughout the week and, and build a network in our church, we are not alone. Elijah was alone. That was part of his problem. Secondly, he assumed a negative outcome. He assumed a negative outcome. Look at verse 10. I have been very zealous for the Lord. That's how he responds. He says, God says, what are you doing here? He says, I have been very zealous for the Lord of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword i am the only one left they seek to take my life so in his mind he has he has this issue that he is the only one left now think about this with me he called down fire from heaven the altar was covered in water god sends fire down hundreds of prophets of Baal are slaughtered and now he's running from a woman He's running from Queen Jezebel. He's, he has this issue magnified. He can't see the bigger picture because he's only got this view. All he can think of is they're after my life. They're going to take my life. In the meantime, God was doing much more. God had a bigger plan. Uh, and he said this. He said, I alone am left. I'm the only one left. He, he couldn't see what God was doing. There was more. More to the story than what he could see. Elijah's circumstances, as we look at them, we're thinking, wow, God just did all this great thing. God just just sent the fire down. And look at all that he's done in Elijah's life. Elijah, one of the most glorious prophets that Israel has ever produced. And we look at that and we say, Elijah, why are you struggling? Why are you down so much? What, what has caused you to come down? It's because... His perspective was so much different than what God's perspective. See, God's looking at his situation saying, I'm in control. Uh, Elijah, nothing nothing you can do is out of my control. I've got the story covered. In the meantime, Elijah's thinking, My life is coming to an end. Um, Elijah focused on his problem, even though he had witnessed the hand of God in a powerful way. He focused on the problem. Certainly he had a problem, but his focus was all wrong. He was, he was looking at it so, so differently than God was. Uh, Elijah was saying, well, I've done everything I can do. This must be the end of the journey. There's no hope. There's no light at the end of the tunnel. I'm all alone again. How long is this going to last? How long am I going to be the only one? Um, nothing's ever going to change it's going to be this way forever Lord just take my life even the mighty can fall and that's what we see in this man of Elijah he went down into this into this pit of depression and Elijah gave up on life he gave up on ministry and he gave up on God verse, verse 10 uh, verse 11 and then he said go out and this is what the Lord tells him now. In response, to his, in response to Elijah, he says, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a, and, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks into pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. So it was, when Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. God knew what Elijah needed the most. He needed rest, and then he needed this encounter with God. It was time. See, Elijah had the knowledge of God. Now he needed this encounter with God. And God used him in mighty ways. And he went down. And at this point, he's not remembering the faithfulness of God. And so he comes and God says, Go out and watch me pass before you. And it shows him, first of all, God was not in the wind. He gave him a great windstorm. When we see wind, we see a lot of power, don't we? And God was not in the wind. And then he gave him an earthquake. Imagine him being down in a cave and as he's having the earthquake, the rocks are shaking and the earth is moving. God was not in the earthquake. A ball of fire. God was not in the fire. Where was God? He was in the quiet, still voice. He was in the gentle whisper of God. Wow. Wow. That is why rest is so important. See, if I'm always busy and I'm always running and I'm always going and I'm, and I'm stressed out and I'm thinking so much about what could go wrong, what didn't go my way, and all these things, when I've got my mind consumed, when God's speaking so softly, I don't even hear Him. Because I'm looking for Him to be grand. I'm looking for Him for the dramatic experience that's why when I was a kid, I always remember the story of the fire coming down on the altar. But I don't often remember this part of the story. Because it's tough, isn't it? It's tough to be down. It's tough to be discouraged. And it's okay that we go through those times. But we have to listen for the quiet voice of the Lord. Psalm 91.1 says this. Those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest. In the shadow of the Almighty. I love that. You want to find rest? There it is. In the and shelter of the Most High, you'll find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. God is the one who will give us rest. And allow Him to come and allow Him to quietly talk to you. Allow Him to minister through His Word. See, it's not about what I can do all the time. It's about God meeting with me. And God pouring into my soul. And I let him restore my soul, as the psalmist says. He responds by coming to the voice. He wraps his his face in the mantle. So he takes his clothes, uh, the cloak, and he wraps his face in it. And he comes out to where he hears the voice. And the voice says to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? The second time. He asks the question now, what are you doing here, Elijah? In other words, God is saying, in light of who I am, and in light of what I can do, what are you doing here? Why are you hiding? Why are you removed out of the picture of what I'm trying to do? Uh, There's work to be done out there. I'm going to use you. What are you doing here? And it's like at this point, Elijah has a, comes to his senses, and he's probably asking himself, what am I doing here? And he gives him the same response. He gives him the same response. He says, I am the only one. They, I, I've, I've been zealous. I've been working for you, Lord. And even sometimes when we're working for the Lord, we need rest. Sometimes we just work and work and work. And God says, you have to have that time underneath the broom tree. You need to have that time where I can come and talk to you and where I can be that small, quiet voice that you're not looking for. Because in the meantime, God was doing something big in his life. He didn't, Elijah didn't see the bigger picture. Uh, God's prescription, first of all, was to get some rest. He gave, and we see that as, uh, at the first leg of the journey. He just let him sleep. He gave him nourishment. He fed him. Cared for his body. Our bodies, That's a big part of what we're doing. I mean, listen, you can't separate your soul from your body. Not until you die, right? And so here we are. Uh, this body is an integral part of it. And so we have, to, we have to care for it. We have to get that rest that's needed. Secondly, we have to get a new focus. God told him to get a new focus. Look here at 1 Kings 19, verse 15. Then the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness... Of Damascus. And when you arrive, anoint Hazael as king over Syria. Also, you shall anoint Jehu as king over Israel. And Elisha you shall anoint as prophet in your place. It shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Hazael, Jehu will kill. And whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. And then I love verse 18. He says, Yet I have reserved seven thousand in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed Baal. In other words, he says, listen, here I have reserved seven thousand. What did Elijah just tell the Lord? I am what? The only one. Have you ever felt like that? I'm the only one who's got this going. I'm the only one who who's got to figure it figured out. I'm the only one that God's moving on. And you get so discouraged, in the meantime, God's like, "Uh, wait a minute, you're not the only one. I have been moving. There are 7,000 who've never bowed before Baal. And it brings out the new perspective. God informs Elijah of his plan. Imagine Elijah, Lord, you've been busy while I've been running You've been working while I've been seeking safety. You've been doing something so much bigger. And Elijah is able to come up because he has a new focus. God tells him, go out and make these anointings and do this job that I have for you. And that's what we need to do. We need to get some rest. And when there's times that we need rest, there is nothing wrong with taking a break. God designed it that way. We're to rest. And when our bodies are just overwhelmed, tired... That means you need to rest. And so we get the rest. And then we need to get a new focus. I have found this, that quite often we get our focus. The focus goes in and out. We get focus screwed up a lot. I was in here the other day for the the Thursday night for the family experience, and I tried to take a picture on my phone, and I didn't have the focus settings right, and I could not get a good picture. I had a blurry picture. It was like this thing is too far away. I could not figure this thing out. Went home, played with it some more, and said, ah, oh, now I figured it out. The focus was messed up. And that's what happens with us. Sometimes our focus just gets blurred, and we, we just get it out, out of focus. We need a new focus in our life. Look at Philippians 4.8. This is a, a good focus for us. It says, fix your thoughts on what is true, what is honorable, what is right, pure, lovely, admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. But what do we have a tendency to do? We think about what went wrong or what could go wrong. I was thinking about the future. There's always uncertainty about the future. I have today. I don't have tomorrow. And I'm th- as I'm thinking about tomorrow and I'm looking at uncertain times, I tend to forget that God is faithful. And so I start to think about the negative things. I start to think about what could go wrong, what might go wrong, what, what, what might happen. And I start to make, make wrong uh, assumptions like Elijah did. Start to make these assumptions that I'm no good, that I've done this, da, 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 it's, it's all going to die and everything. All right? And I go down this whole story and I have myself down in the dumps. And I am depressed at that moment. But whenever I come back up and I train my mind, Romans 12, 2 says that we're to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And this is how you do it. You train your mind to think on the right things. There are negative things, yes. Jezebel was after Elijah, Elijah. But he had to put his mind onto the faithfulness of God, not onto that circumstance. I like a, a paraphrase here of that same verse, Philippians four eight it says, I'd say you'll do best by filling your minds and meditating on things that are true, noble, reputable, authentic, compelling, gracious, the best, not the worst, the beautiful, not the ugly, things to praise, not things to curse. And so this is our new focus. We've got to... Focus in on what God has told us to focus in on. He's given us the many things that, we, that are positive. I, I, I was reading the other day, a guy says, God's just given you so many reasons to praise him. And as we th- stop and think of all the good that God has done and all, all of who he is and his character, I can now take my, my thoughts and move them off of the problem. I still have to deal with the problem, but I move off of the problem... And my thoughts now are consumed with His character, with His faithfulness, with His justice, with His mercy. And I come to the hand of the Almighty God. Why do circumstances derail us emotionally and physically? Well, it's because the future, when we think about the future without the faithfulness of God, we can't comprehend it. We can't look. You know, God was so faithful in the past. And I can't trust Him for the future. I have to go back and remember. Jesus died on the cross. He paid for your sin. He came back to life again. And He wants you to trust Him for your future. He wants you to trust Him for tomorrow. But what do we do? We, can't, we forget that Jesus died on the cross. He paid for our sin. We go down because I got a flat tire on the car. Or because I have this or this. And you, you, you add in whatever that, that's got, that starts that downward spiral. And as we get down, sometimes it's really hard to get back up, but we have to make a refocus, refocus. Uh, when the future is uncertain, remember God's character. That has helped me so much in my life in recent days. When I don't know about tomorrow, I know who holds tomorrow. And I'm able to put my trust in God. And therefore, I know God's character. I know my character's flawed. And I know the people that I live and work within our community have flawed character. But I know that God's character is not flawed. Amen? When you think about that, there's where I can say, I can rest assured because God is going to make this happen. God will work for His glory in my life. When, we, when, we, when looking ahead makes you fearful, look for God. Look for God, not in the dramatic places. We all want Him to be dramatic, don't we? We all want the fire to come down from heaven. But God is more often than not, talking, not dramatically, but in the still, small whisper. When places are of uncertainty, when, the, when you're looking at the uncertainty of the future, think of the faithfulness of God. Worship Him. When I worship Him, I am rehearsing His faithfulness. I'm rehearsing His character to Him. That's why He's asked us, He's commanded us to worship Him. Rhonda has a friend of hers that she grew up with. Um, She went to her high school youth group with her. And we'll put that picture up of her. Um, Her name happens to be Carice. That's where Rhonda first heard the name. This is Carice Nonamaker. And uh, Carice grew up with Rhonda. And uh, you can see on the picture here, she's been battling cancer. And this is dated... uh, Earlier this year, I think it was January of this year, it says, my last chemo treatment ever. Trust in God completely. She has a Bible verse written under there. And um, that was in January. And now her cancer has taken a turn again. It's metastasized. And it's uh, all over her. And um, she's not looking at a very bright future. But um, we've seen some incredible strength come out of her. You know, Facebook has really helped you to be able to stay in touch instantly. You just, she's in the hospital room and she's able to put out an incredible statement. So this was her statement just a few days ago. It says this. She said, "As I lay in my hospital bed this morning with my disquieted heart, not knowing what today may bring, I am comforted by the knowledge that God is too wise to be mistaken." God is too good to be unkind. And when I can't understand, when I can't see his plan, when I can't trace his hand, I can trust his heart. And you know what I thought? As I read that, I thought, she is living what we're talking about here today. She has a focus that is bigger than her problem. She has four kids. She has a husband. There's a lot at stake for this girl. She's in her 40s. But God has ministered to her, and her focus is so much bigger than her problems. Her focus is on the faithfulness, the character of God. I think that's what I'd like to be like. I know that's what you do. We want that, isn't it? We want God. We want His character to sustain us. So that I can trust him when times are good, when times are bad. Elijah was a man that faced depression. It was okay. It was a symptom. He was overwhelmed. But as you come to those moments of being overwhelmed, I want to encourage you. Number one, it's okay. It's okay. We get over there. It's pressure. You need some rest. Number two, refocus. We all get off the track. We all misfocus. focus Even in trying to do good, we miss focus all the time. And God says, I have a plan for you. And God's prescription for Elijah was to give him a new focus. And it changed everything for him. That's bound prayer. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, I'd like to just encourage you to respond to the Lord this morning. As we look in in his word, we see real people that dealt with real problems, problems that we're facing today. This was one that we all, many of us, will go to at one point or another. Overwhelmed by the, the pressures of this world, overwhelmed by my expectation on life. God is not always doing the dramatic. Quite often... He's in the still, small voice, the gentle whisper. Today, if you're here and you've never opened your heart to the Lord, you have not accepted Him as your personal Savior, I'd like to invite you to do so today. Just respond to Him right where you're seated. Just call upon Him. Say something like this to Him. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. I've done wrong things. I've fallen short of Your glorious standard. But you died on the cross. You paid for my sin. You came back to life for me. And right now, God, I invite you into my life. Thank you for your free gift of eternal life. And for others here this morning, how is God speaking to you through His Word as you look at the, the account of Elijah? maybe you're facing a a moment where it's been down maybe it's been down for quite a while god wants you to get some rest he wants you to get a new focus focus is on him he has a plan for your life it may have been hard it may have been dark but it's not over he has a great plan for your life. Respond to him. Father God, I thank you so much for you. Thank you for your character. God, I thank you that you're bigger than this earth. You're bigger than my life. You're bigger than all of my expectations. God, thank you that I can rely on you when, when, when times are going rough. Thank you that I can lift my eyes up to the Lord. From where comes my help? God, I pray for each person. May you allow them to respond to you. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Stand together as we close our service with a song. As we sing, feel free to come and kneel at the altar this morning and pray as we worship together.